welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the On50 MI podcast, uh, where we host a regular discussion uh, with policymakers and with key companies in the sector on important trends, new developments and innovation, uh, as well as policy, technology and regulatory challenges in digital finance. Uh, I'm John Orchard, On50 CEO, and today it's my pleasure to talk again uh, to Dr. Wolfram Zeidemann, um, who's Chief Executive Officer of GND Currency Technology, uh, about uh, recent market developments and the state of the many multifaceted projects around the world uh, on central bank digital currencies, both retail and wholesale, and also the related issues around payments, uh, digital assets, uh, and uh, market infrastructure. Um, Wolfram has something of a front row seat to the CBDC discussion, I'd say, since the company is engaged in conversations with uh, lots of central banks around the world. Um, So I'm looking forward to hearing his impression uh, of the current state of the CBDC discussion. Uh, Certainly from DMI's point of view, we think we might be seeing a bit of a bifurcation between developed and developing markets on these initiatives. Uh, Just last week, we had uh, the Bank of Japan announcing it had found uh, no public interest in a retail CBDC, uh, at the same time as the Central Bank of Thailand uh, announcing it would initiate a retail CBDC project. Uh, Meanwhile, um, the market dislocations we've seen in digital assets contain, I think, important information for us. Uh, with potentially wide implications, uh, and we will certainly explore that today too. So welcome, Wolfram, and nice to be talking with you today. Great to be here, John. Uh, Recent months have seen, as I just mentioned, volatile markets uh, as uh, central banks go to work on inflation, uh, uh, I think. Uh, One of the interesting outputs of that process has been a correction uh, in cryptocurrency markets, uh, unexpected by some. Uh, who thought there was uh, no correlation. Uh, and also we've seen problems with uh, with some stable coins, uh, despite their name. And so what are your initial thoughts on this, Wolfram? Well, the past has shown how volatile cryptocurrencies can be. Um, just look at Bitcoin over the past five years. Crash in 2018, strong increase in 2021, and again, a drop of almost 68% since November 21. Some cryptocurrencies even lost 90% compared with the highs in 2021. The development of stablecoins, like the name suggests, was based on the hope for stability in the crypto space. They were initially intended as a tool for crypto traders to easily protect the value of their digital assets without having to continuously cash out into fiat currency. In other words, as a reliable means of exchange. As their use cases grow, the supply of stablecoins rose as well and significantly. However, stablecoins prices can fluctuate during times of market volatility when there are sudden changes in supply and demand. Well, in which case, how come some stablecoins turned out uh, not to be? Yeah, stablecoins have been portrayed as completely reliable, fully backed by fiat currency. But not all stablecoins are created equal. Some are backed by a national currency like the US dollar or a commodity such as gold reserves. Some are pegged to a pool of cryptocurrencies. And lastly, the newest algorithmic stablecoins, their value is controlled by supply and demand through algorithms that are meant to maintain a one-to-one peg with a fiat currency. There's no collateral behind them at all. Here's the problem with algorithmic stablecoins. They require a certain level of demand to operate as anticipated. And if this falls below a certain threshold, the system can fall apart. And this is what happened in the collapse of Terra. 
a panic in crypto resulted in huge sales. So we can see that the system of private cryptocurrencies has structural weaknesses. Keep in mind that central banks also do not rely on reserve assets to preserve stability in the value of its currency. However, the difference is that central banks set monetary policy based on well-understood parameters. As fiat currency is issued and backed by the central bank, that gives the national currency credibility. Stablecoins do not have this credibility. And the, res the result is a lack of trust. The essence of any currency is trust. Uh, uh, quite agree. Uh, do you also agree with my suggestion a moment ago that the crypto crash came uh, in part from the Fed cycle of tightening? Well, that's speculation. Of course, decisions made at central banks affect the overall economy and financial markets. And with the increase of interest rates, less money is available and other forms of investments with lower risks are getting more attractive than stablecoins. The crypto stablecoin market is dominated by U.S. companies. And since the three largest stablecoin issuers are U.S.-based, the decisions of the Fed had an impact on investors. We are in a global crisis situation. Nobody wants to make risky investments right now. And both cryptos and stablecoins are risky. There's no guaranteed value, just high expectations. So right now people are noting how dangerous these unregulated currencies are. No transparency, no investor protection, and most probably overpromised. Yeah, and there has been indeed a clamor for increasing regulation of this sector. Uh, especially as retail investors start to lose money both inevitably, uh, but also as the possibility of systemic risks emerges. Uh, would regulation have mitigated this crash or its effects, do you think? Well, I think regulation and oversight must be in place to protect consumers and ensure financial stability. For now, with the absence of proper regulation, cryptocurrency issuers and investors intentionally take on big risks in order to make even bigger profits. A commercial bank, for example, also creates money to make profits. They lend money. However, they are monitored and they must comply with legal requirements. And when a commercial bank goes bust, clients are protected by deposit insurance. With cryptos, the miners can manipulate prices and earn money with a specific ordering of pending transactions. Compared to that, traders in the traditional markets are regulated and must process trades in the best interest for their clients. The challenge in that digital space is that regulation can't keep up with innovation speed. Innovation will always be faster and regulators will always run behind after initial damage is already been done. So regulation is necessary, but a more effective way is to offer an alternative option issued by a public institution and one that is guided by public interest. If consumers can use a central bank issued digital instrument, CBDC, they can benefit from stability of the currency guaranteed by a central bank and its transparent policy decisions. Well, I think, right, Wolfram, my own view is that the crisis is helping us rediscover that, uh, to a large extent, money is a public um, artifact. You mentioned what you described as structural flaws uh, in the uh, crypto universe. Would you expand on that? Sure. I think, firstly, the limited scalability caused by the need to reward validators for the transactions. And secondly, a lack of interoperability due to different validation mechanisms across different blockchains. This results in fragmentation and prevents network effects from taking root. These flaws are the reason why the existing cryptocurrencies are not suitable as the basis for a monetary system. What the multiple existence of crypto proves is that there is a demand for digital tokens to be used in digital transactions and businesses. 
In the end, the best way to minimize economic risk and to maintain monetary policy is with a well-designed CBDC, a public-issued regulated instrument that can be universally used by all stakeholders in the digital economy. Do you think, therefore, that this crash will boost the case for CBDCs uh, somewhat, uh, I would argue, as the announcement of DM uh, and then the COVID-19 pandemic did in the last couple of years? Yes, you're right. It's the mandate of a central bank to engage in case of market instability. First of all, for me, the existence of stablecoins shows that there is a demand for certain features, digital payment use cases, and stability, all of which can be addressed by a CBDC in a more effective way. 90% of central banks surveyed by the Bank of International Settlements are working on CBDC. They are already aware of this need. I think the crash makes some stablecoin users more aware of and attentive to CBDC. Values down, crypto winter is coming, was one of the headlines I read. We are living in uncertain times indeed. The pandemic is still affecting supply chains, the war in Ukraine, high costs for energy and commodities, high inflation. Especially in Europe, we haven't seen times like these for a long time. But in this current situation, people can also see how central bank works in combating inflation. They recognize that there is an institution that works for the benefit of society to protect money and value without profit-driven interests. Throughout history, central banks have lined up with these expectations by issuing paper currency, and they will do so in the digital space with CBDC. Uh, You mentioned the fragmentation of the crypto space, Wolfram. That's also an issue, of course, with the status quo in the current payment landscape, which uh, works, but is... uh, Byzantine and complex, can CBC bridge that fragmentation? Definitely. Um, In that space, interoperability is key to ensure the seamless flow of funds between payment systems. And the best way to support this is with a flexible public payment infrastructure that promotes not only interoperability, but also effectively competition. Unlike vertical solutions from private players that build walled gardens. I believe the future of the monetary system will be dependent on the trusted division of roles between the central bank and private financial entities. The central bank provides the open infrastructure so that the private sector can be quick to innovate on this platform. The CBDC gives financial service providers the opportunity to develop and launch services on a common national level, thus reducing payment fragmentation. A well-designed CBDC will ensure synergies with private initiatives on acceptance and use, as well as interoperability that enables cross-platform services and products. Uh, what about the payments in uh, the metaverse, Paul Fram? Well, the metaverse will be a new market and a large one. The metaverse economy is supposed to reach US dollar 13 trillion by 2030, so unbelievable growth potential. And strong user experience is key for delivering successful digital assets and also for payments in the metaverse. The metaverse depends on robust means of payments. Talking about Horizon World and the future plans of Meta, I think they are still keen to offer their own tokens. One could say Zuckbucks are still in discussion. But I can envision parts of that new market to be open for stable digital currencies or CBDCs. In order to enjoy the benefit of a regulated currency, participants need to comply with financial market regulations as well. They need to respect AML, uh, CFT, and other regulations.
In any case, CBDC can be a bridge, but as I said, they need to be interoperable. Uh, the probably the number one theme after privacy, as you know, that comes up in our session. So, um, how much international consensus is likely to develop on uh, interoperability? Yeah, we need to overcome some hurdles here. The question is, how can legislation support the introduction of CBDCs and cross-border payments? Central Bank will have to find common ground to coordinate efforts and thus ensure compatibility and interoperability. This could come from either bilateral or multilateral collaboration on design principles. But if done right, interoperability across international systems would support cross-border payments and facilitate faster, cheaper and more reliable exchanges for businesses and consumers. Uh, How about uh, the technical perspective, Wolfram? How does that work? Yeah, from a technical perspective, talking about the CBDC core system, we need interlinkages and flexible structures. Again, here, interoperability is the key word. So we have recently seen private players, banks, as well as non-banks, launching retail payment services with walled garden strategies to encroach customers with their platforms. We can move beyond these hurdles with a highly interoperable CBDC. It could be the foundation for frictionless conversion amongst such private digital payment services and enhance efficiency. Above all, regardless of the underlying technology, a CBDC must be compatible with end-user applications. And early collaboration from proof-of-concept work can perhaps contribute to setting standards around CBDCs. Uh, so what's the effect on innovation and competition then, Wolfram? Yeah, that's an important topic, and I think that's the core of, or the essence of um, the, the discussion that we have here. I believe discussions around CBDC should be guided by the question, what problem does it solve, but rather what platform can we create to foster innovation? With CBDC, the central bank offers a digital instrument that represents value and ensures user can authenticate its validity. It's then up to the market to create new financial products and services. CBDC is the platform that enables financial inclusion and growth by applying a pricing model for the infrastructure that creates competition to existing digital schemes, and in case of underbanked segments, by issuing a public-based wallet that allows everyone to participate in the digital economy. Such an open platform would better promote innovation and the development of new business models that will ultimately contribute to economic growth and consumer benefits. However, it's crucial that both the public and the private sector work together to achieve a thriving CBC ecosystem with both consumers and businesses that benefit. Do you think then that some business models uh, might change or indeed have to change as a result of this uh, open platform collaboration? I believe, yes. A CBDC will transform the role of private sector stakeholders in a certain way. Um, they can focus on the business model while the instrument with which payments will be settled is offered by the central bank. So we will most probably see a switch from pure payment functions to a wider business model, such as AI-powered super apps combining content, payments, and social features, like we see in China with WeChat. This transformation will enrich the current offering and create innovations that we can't even imagine today. Um, speaking of the requirements of uh, consumers, I mentioned earlier some of the common themes that we hear. Uh, in the uh, Consumer Attitudes to CBDC report, an important piece of work uh, which GND and Onfift worked on together, 
available on the OnFIF website, by the way. Uh, respondents listed security as an important feature for CBDC, uh, uh, for a CBDC solution, perhaps not surprisingly. What are your thoughts on security being as crucial as interoperability, Wolfram? Yes, of course. Um, Central Bank must place security considerations among its top priorities for a CBDC. The CBDC core system needs to be highly secure and at the same time allow interlinkages to other systems. This is not an inherent contradiction, but regardless of the technology used, security must remain an important consideration for a CBDC to ensure public confidence. Trust is an important aspect of any currency, and the CBDC would not be successful without a secure platform that places trust in the currency itself. Meeting the highest security and resilience requirements with no single point of failure is one of the key features of our CBDC solution, Filia. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that, Wolfram? Can you explain in particular how um, security and interoperability work with uh, GND's video solution? Of course. For the user, security is mostly also related to their privacy. Fila consists of three layers, following a strict separation of concerns. The ultralight payment layer tracks integrity, but not ownership of the monetary tokens that are circulating in the system. That means we can guarantee authenticity of payments without storing personal data or transactional metadata on that level. On top of that, we have a data layer that only stores pseudonymous transactions required to assure compliance with AML and safety standards. And the third layer? Yeah, the third layer, what we call smart wallet infrastructure, is our approach to programmability. It provides a powerful rule engine that enables interoperability and innovation. Financial service providers can integrate SDK modules into their larger ecosystem and provide value-added services. Common APIs enable platforms to talk with each other and enable interoperability with existing processes. The result is a secure and flexible platform that can accommodate future needs. And you think that may soon become a reality? It's really exciting at the moment. As we speak, we roll out production system-ready pilots. The open platform concept is the strength of the solution. We are continuously learning from the collaborations with central banks and fintechs in hackathons and, of course, from our pilots itself. It's amazing to see how people use CBDC in these pilots. At the end, it's always the user we should keep in mind and their trust. And rest assured, with CBDC, they will have a really stable coin in their wallet. Well, it won't be a surprise if that's what they seek after recent times in the markets. Uh, thank you, Wolfram. I, I think it's fair to say also very big questions remain about whether cryptocurrencies are money or not. Certainly, I couldn't get a recent expert panel to agree whether they are money or assets or commodities. Uh, uh, and there are definitely labeling issues around some stable coins, as we've mentioned. Um, certainly, the maxim yep. uh, caveat emptor should be at four. Um, I think the market dislocations also remind us to check on whether the structure of markets has outpaced uh, at regulation to a risky extent. Uh, and I know that regulators are definitely watching this. Um, I Meanwhile, I think that the CBDC discussion has rightly moved towards um, the wide implication for payments settlement as well and the structure of money and capital markets, while actually some economies also offering uh, new opportunities in financial inclusion, as we've uh, talked about before. So thanks again, Wolfram, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to the OnFifth podcast. 